All right, good morning, good morning, everybody. So glad to see you. We have our kids joining us today. And so, kids, I got to bring you up to speed on what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. If you've spent any time at our church, you've already probably heard of those things. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence uh, in our lives that comes from the Holy Spirit that we are followers of God. Our church already has covered uh, these ones so far, the adults have. We've covered love and joy, peace and patience. So if your parents were patient with you this week, that's why. Last week they learned that they were supposed to be evidencing that fruit of the Spirit. And we've been walking in these powerful words in the last few weeks. Uh, They come in a believer's life, and it indicates that that believer is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who dwells in all those whose relationship with the Father has been bridged because of the blood of Jesus. The verse this comes from is in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So that's what we'll be looking at. Today we're going to explore two fruit of the Spirit. We're going to explore kindness and goodness. And that really works out because kindness and goodness are quite similar. Kindness is positive actions towards other people based on internal movement. Goodness is positive actions towards other people based on moral integrity. Kindness is like joy to do what's right. Like when you're super stoked to do it, when you really love doing it, that's kindness. Goodness is courage to do what's right, even if you don't feel like it. Kindness is that inner disposition that causes us to be sensitive to the needs of others. But goodness is the decision to act morally in words and deeds. So we're going to cover these two things today. First, kindness, then goodness. Kindness is best demonstrated by God towards men. There's this cool verse that Paul writes. He says this, At one time, we too, we used to be foolish And we were disobedient, and we were deceived, and we were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the, get this, when the kindness of and love of God our Father appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. So when the kindness of and love of God our Savior appears, He saves us. So kindness is best demonstrated in God's relationship with human beings. You see, God sees you. And in love, when God sees you, he was moved internally towards you. That's really weird to think that God has emotions sometimes, right? But God looked at you, and instead of revulsion or repulsion, he looks at you and he says, I love that person. I absolutely love you, and I'm going to move towards you to come and save you. He saw that you were lost. And he saw that every one of us was without a chance. And his love prompted him to travel the cosmos to come and get you, to invite you to be his son or daughter. See, that's what grace means. Sometimes we think grace is like that moment where we accept Jesus as our Savior, and that's true. But the idea of grace is that God leans towards you. He's looking at you like this. He wants to know you and bless you and be part of your life. God has moved internally towards you. And this matters. It changes how we see God. And it changes how we see ourselves in light of God. 
Because God thinks that you are worth it. God looks at you and says, I think that that person is worth coming all of the distance from heaven, coming to earth for that person. And God is never wrong. God's kindness to sinners, it prompts us to repent. The purpose of his kindness is that we could turn back towards him. The, the idea of this comes from the scripture in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Don't you know how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That's what Paul writes in the book of Romans. God loves you even in all of your sin. Hear that. God loves you even when you're sinning. Even when you're filthy and unrepentant, God loves you. But God does not want you to stay in your sin, even though He loves you while you're there. Because He loves you, He wants you to move, to flee the things that are harming you, and to walk with Him. Those changes that happen inside... It causes us to say, Daddy, I need you. And I want to follow you. So our kindness towards others is based on God's kindness towards us. We show kindness by behaving toward others the same way God behaves towards us. God went out of his way to show you love at great personal cost. You see, God was in heaven where there's no no anger, tears, sadness, nothing bad. All things good are in heaven and God was there and he was perfectly content except he looked down and he saw you and he was going to come get you even though it would cost him something. Imitate that. Bringing blessing into someone else's life even when there's a cost to you. You see, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we've all probably heard of that. Most of us have. I hope we have. Literally, our church's foundational idea is the idea from, that comes from the, the Good Samaritan. And that's an excellent parable about kindness leading to blessing others. If you'll remember, the couple of people passed by, but the Samaritan comes by, and he is moved internally towards compassion, and then he goes out and helps that person who was hurt. So that's exactly what kindness does. It moves us inside so that we may act and love and demonstrate it towards other people. In the parable, it took that guy time, effort, and money. It was out of his way. And I'll tell you, yes, loving people takes time. But becoming a foster parent, that's going to take sacrifice. Inviting your friends to come to church? Oh, man, in this day and age, that's going to take some courage. Getting involved with preventing sex trafficking throughout this world? And that's brutal. And that's messy. And that's ugly. Helping dig fresh water wells, that, that's an expensive adventure. Actually adopting a child who needs a home, and that is life-changing. But, but I would want to ask you that you would allow your heart to be moved by the Holy Spirit. Who does your heart beat for? And I want to ask you just take a moment and say, God, would you search my heart right now and move me? God, I want to invite you to move my heart towards kindness. It's not, could I afford to help that person, but rather, can they afford for me not to help them? Kindness growing 
is that feeling that you get when you watch one of those, have you ever seen those starving children videos on TV? And then your heart starts to break and like tears well up in your eyes. Well, that's what kindness growing feels like. Don't shut those feelings off. Embrace them and act upon them. That's what kindness is. It's being moved internally and saying, ah, I don't want to just stay here. I don't want to just feel bad. I just want to, I don't want to just look at that and say, wow, there's a big problem there. I want to do something about it. That's what kindness is. Don't ignore that feeling, but respond to it. This is the heart of God followers to bring the kindness and not random acts of kindness, purposeful acts of kindness where you've said, God, my heart is moved and now I am going to act upon the movement of the heart that you've put in me. Allow the Holy Spirit to cause you to move. Don't block the Spirit, you guys. And I know that it's going to take time and it's going to take money and it's going to cause you to be out of your comfort zone. But that's okay. That's what we are called to do. Remember, God leaving heaven, you think he didn't go out of his comfort zone? You think heaven is more comfortable or earth more comfortable? Being, being God fully or, or limiting yourself as a human being? Being perfect without tears or pain or being crucified on the cross? God recognized there was a cost to it and paid that cost. He was moved towards you and then came and met you. And then we need to demonstrate that. My son Ethan and I, we were talking uh, just this week about this. And he was asking about like, how do you know how to help? How do you know what to do? And we're talking about like, there's a million problems in this world. You guys, there are so many problems. That there's, I think there's probably more than a million problems in this world. But you know what that means? That means there are a million opportunities to help. There's a million opportunities to show kindness if there's a million problems. You can't help everyone, you guys. But you can help someone. Has anyone ever heard of the Compassion International? It's a pretty, pretty big program. Compassion International is an is a organization that works in 26 countries right now where people sponsor one-to-one a child. There are over 1.5 million children who receive uh, the name of Jesus. They receive food each day, and they receive education. That's what a $38 a month provides for that. Here's like, you know, infomercial right there. And there's 1.5 million kids being served by Compassion International right now. But you know where Compassion International started? It didn't start with 1.5 million kids, and it didn't start as $300 million. It started with one man in 1952. This comes from Compassion's website. Compassion began in the heart of one man, moved by the Korean War orphans in 1952. The Reverend Everett Swanson was on a successful preaching tour in South Korea when he encountered the bitter poverty of Korea's unwanted children. And he knew he had to do something. Upon his return to the U.S., Everett established a program that allowed caring people to provide food, shelter, education, and medical medical care and Christian training for Korean orphans. That program was and remains the foundation and core of Compassion International. Because of the movement in one person's heart in 1952, 1.5 million children are being fed, cared for, and learning the gospel today right now. That's an amazing, powerful testimony of kindness. Look, we are here on this planet for a purpose, and it's not just to make our own life better. It's for kindness. Whew, that's a good word. I can almost stop there, but we got goodness too. Goodness is to be upright in character, and that also is going to lead to action. And there's an interesting flavor about goodness that doesn't come across in English, but comes across in the Greek. The, the idea of goodness in the Greek is, is 
moral obligation that causes action, and it has this flavor of generosity. And so when we think about it, we've got to think about God first as being completely good. Jesus confesses this uh, when someone approaches him. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a guy runs up to him and he kneels before him and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And what we mean by good here is morally perfect. But when I come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon me, that I am going to be able to begin to follow in the footsteps of this good God. Second Corinthians tells us this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The beginning of a good nature starts when we are born again. The restoration of the good that was originally intended. The difference in our lives before and after being born again is this. Before we were Christians, our sinful nature controlled us. But after we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit develops a new nature of goodness, of moral obligation, where we say, I want to do what's right because God does what's right. I want to copy my Father who is perfect. I know I'm not going to be, but I want to copy that. And I want to be morally right. Kindness helps people out of the heart. Kindness is that, that feeling But goodness helps people as a moral obligation, regardless of feelings. Because many of us, maybe we're not feelings persons, right? That's fine. But respond to blessing others as a moral obligation then. And that obligation is only found in believers and as a result of the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those people who chase after God. His goodness to us and in us creates a moral obligation to pay it forward. Now, there's two noticeable differences between kindness and goodness, and here they are. First, goodness can be painful, and goodness isn't always fluffy or emotionally even positive. Goodness includes things like discipline and rebuke, which are sometimes hard. We see uh, Jesus, when he uh, goes into Jerusalem, he goes into the, the temple where they're supposed to be praying and stuff, and he sells people. he sees people ripping others off, forcing them to buy these sacrifices at a hundred times the price. And he said, you guys have turned my, God, my father's house into a house of robbers. And he braids a whip and he starts whipping people. You see, that's goodness in action. It's not that kind and fluffy maybe, but it, it may involve rebuke. And we see it in Jesus as he clears the temple. Goodness stands up for moral issues. Maybe it means you confront your brothers and sisters in, in love when they're lapsing on moral commitments. Goodness means that you will ruthlessly eliminate moral failures in your own lives. And I don't want to call anyone out, but if these are you, maybe God's calling to you. Maybe one of your moral failures is drunkenness. Having a drink is fine, but you know when you get drunk, God doesn't want that. And you ruthlessly need to eliminate that. That's what goodness does, even if you don't feel like you want to. You have a moral obligation, as the Bible tells you, not to be drunk. Maybe it's lying in your life, or maybe it's greed at your business, Or maybe it's envy of somebody else's car or house or property. You need to ruthlessly eliminate that in your life because those are moral failings. Maybe it's marital unfaithfulness. You need to absolutely get rid of that. Idolatry. Or for some of us, maybe it's pornography. You have a moral obligation to say, I'm going to get rid of that kind of stuff. I would recommend you find a trusted friend who can help you 
who's willing to stand up to you and say, hey, that is absolutely wrong. You know what's wrong and you need to stop it. Someone who trusts, someone who you, who you care about and you know that loves you and will tell you the hard truth when you need to hear it. We all need people like that in our lives so that we could pursue goodness. It's tough, but it's good. And the second flavor of goodness is generosity, as I had mentioned. Godly convictions that force us to put our money where our mouth is. It is moral obligation which calls you to begin your generosity journey by giving 10% of your money to the church. And I know I hate to always say this, but that is God's moral obligation to you. That's the beginning of generosity. God tells everyone who calls Jericho Road their church that if he looked at your financial statement at the end of your year, have you given 10% of your income to God? And if you haven't, then you are morally failing God. This is a moral obligation. And I don't say this to get rich or to look cool or to get money for myself. I don't have anything to do with the budget at Jericho Road. That's all the board. I have no idea who gives what or how much. And I don't want to know those things. But God knows those things. And it is our moral obligation to say, God, I'm going to faithfully give to you 10%. But that is just the beginning. You guys, 10% is the training wheels for giving. And God doesn't want you to stay in training wheels. God does want you to give their 10%. But then he wants you to pursue him so much and, and be delighted with him so much that you throw off those training wheels. And you say, I want to go faster. Right? You can't ride a bike fast with training wheels. You've got to take them off so you can take off. And God wants you to do that in your generous giving. He wants you to start with the 10%. But that's not where you end. That's where you begin. And then he moves you to... to extravagant generosity, maybe sending missionaries or, or sponsoring some of those kids that you see on TV or helping the less fortunate, going on short-term missions yourself, giving money to a broke college student who's working two jobs or maybe that waitress that you just hear her story slightly and then you give that extra bit and you say, in the name of the Lord, as a moral obligation, I'm going to be generous towards you. Giving in times of world disasters. I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel overwhelmed. I feel like, man, we just gave to Katrina and then we just gave to this one and there's another hurricane and another this and another this. But don't get tired of doing good. That's what the Bible says. Be generous in world disasters and daily struggles. If you don't know anyone who's poor enough to have daily struggles, you need some new friends. I'll introduce you to some people. It's okay to admit. But we need to start to begin to be not just 10% generous, but extravagantly generous. And that is what this idea of kindness says. It says we have moral obligations to do right and act right and overly generously, even when you don't feel like it. When you're walking with God and in his spirit, you start doing things differently. You start to view the world differently, to prioritize differently. Getting rich, it fades away. Your own personal happiness takes a back seat. You can't sit idly by when you know you should be standing up. You can't do everything, you guys, but you could do something. So I asked you this, are you willing? Do you dare ask the Holy Spirit to, bru to, bring the, uh, to bear the fruit of kindness and goodness? Do you dare to even ask that? And I would say, I hope so. I hope that you will join me just right now as we begin to close and pray. I'm going to invite our praise team to come up. And I, I, I want to invite you. Do you dare to ask the Spirit to bear this fruit? Because remember last week I told you I never asked God for patience because I don't want a 25-year run to try to figure out patience. But I dare to ask Him for goodness and kindness. Do you dare to open up your heart so that God would rend it in such a way that you care and then you do something about it? Would you ask God for goodness so that you have 
a moral responsibility to get rid of things that aren't right and to become overwhelmingly generous with people. I hope so. And the world will be a better place. And needs will be met. And the hurting will find healing. And God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's go ahead and pray and respond to God right now. Just join me in praying. God, I don't know, do we dare pray this as a church? Because what would it mean? Maybe it means that we're going to have to give up something that we've been holding on to. Maybe it means we have to finally open up our heart and stop blocking it and stop preventing the work of your spirit in our lives. And that's scary, and I know it's scary. God, would you help us? Maybe we're wanting to do it, but we're worried. So I just pray you'd prompt us. Would you speak to our hearts the love that you have for us? Could we hear clearly how much you love us? Could we clear that you demonstrated both kindness and goodness towards us? And help us to respond, God. I invite you to take a minute right before we pray here and ask God to open your heart and to tell him you're willing to bear the fruit of kindness and goodness. Would you dare pray that out with me?